first reading comes from Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 to 9. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord so that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when they see it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, they would look at the bronze serpent and live. The second reading comes from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to the God the Father through him. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel according to St. John in the third chapter, beginning at verse 14. Glory be to thee, O Lord. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Gospel of Christ. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may your spirit be free to move among us that we would be attentive to, receptive to your transforming words to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Over the last number of years, I've been increasingly aware of a tendency or a proclivity that I have in approaching the scriptures. Um, and I may not be alone in this. I, I, what I like to do, what I've been tempted to do over the years, is to gravitate towards and settle into the beautiful, the 
inspirational, the, the aspirational passages of Scripture that we find. Things like the beautiful uh, 1 Corinthians 13 on love, or Psalm 23 is the Lord, of, Lord is our shepherd, or, or the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience, and so on. But it was actually the fruit of the Spirit that, uh, that got my attention to, to a bit of a pattern that's in Scripture that I had been very comfortably and effectively ignoring. Because the verses immediately preceding this wonderful description of the ways the Spirit uh, brings uh, the life of transformation alive in our beings talks about the works of the flesh. And it's nasty. It's gross. It's, it's really quite horrible. And those two are brought cheek by jowl and, and for two reasons that I can think of. The first is to highlight the truly miraculous nature of the transforming work of God in our lives. That when we get to seeing the fruit of the Spirit beginning to grow in our lives, when we begin to experience the, the true nature of love in our lives, we recognize where we've come from and how dramatically and miraculously different those two realities are. The second one may be a little less comfortable, and that was for me the realization that maybe some of the works of the flesh are still lingering about in me a little bit. Uh, They're still there, and they still need to be dealt with uh, relentlessly. So, on a normal Thanksgiving, without that in mind, I might be tempted just to look for a really good passage that that encourages us to give thanks to God in all things, and then I would, I would teach or preach on, on the spiritual discipline of thanksgiving, which I've done. But today we're going to do something a little bit different, and that is we're going to start with the opposite of praise and thanksgiving. And that brings us to our passage in Numbers. And that is a very weird passage. A strange, difficult, profoundly uncomfortable passage uh, to tackle. Uh, And it's not your typical Thanksgiving fare, if you'll excuse the food reference. Here we find something highlighted, and the contrast is very instructional. Uh, And it it may not be quite as dramatic as as you might find in one of Paul's lists. And they're in one of Paul's lists of the sins of the flesh. But what we're talking about is the death-dealing power of a critical spirit and complaining words. To give you some context for uh, this first passage... The Israelites were nearing the end of their 40 years of wilderness wandering. And according to uh, the prophet Hosea, the purpose of that long, long period of wandering was to give God an opportunity to woo Israel. To woo Israel like a lover, to seek to teach her how to trust him fully that they might be his people, he might be their God, and he could dwell among them. Yet in our story, we have the Israelites at the end of this process of wooing, Uh, complaining bitterly against God and against Moses. We've got no food. We've got no water. And we loathe this worthless food. Uh, Now, first of all, we've got to stop right there because we've got a contradiction right in the text, don't we? They said there's no food, and then they're loathing the food that they don't have. Well, that highlights for us one of the the, uh, really interesting consequences of a critical spirit and complaining words. It will blind you to the good and the gift that is right in front of you. You won't be able to see it when you get into the habit of being critical and complaining. It'll just just disappear from your sight and you'll say, we don't have anything and and it's horrible anyway. 
Um, now, we load this worthless food. In Hebrew, it's literally bread. It's a reference to the manna uh, that God miraculously provided every morning for going on 40 years. Yes, it was the same food every morning. And yes, they would have seen it more than 12,000 times at this point in their, in their lives. But that did not make it any less miraculous or any less an example of God's loving provision for them. But for some of those Israelites, then, the 40 years of wooing had not worked. And as is the nature of complaint, it was in danger of spreading to the entire nation. So God sent poisonous snakes among them. The snakes bit them, and many died. The people repented of their sin, and Moses, following God's instruction, erected a bronze serpent on a pole that the people might look up at it and live and be healed. Yikes. Is God really that thin-skinned that he can't take a little bit of criticism? Is that what's going on here? Well, no, that's not what's going on here. The Bible is full of people and, and situations where they've complained bitterly to God and remained friends of God. We think of Job and a number of the Psalms. Rather, what we have here instead is the poison of a critical and complaining spirit among a community, specifically. The punishment of the poisonous serpents is instructive because the poison of a critical spirit is even worse than the poison of the serpent. Now, we may not think so uh, because criticism and complaint is, is normalized in our society. When we stand around the water cooler, we're not talking about how wonderful the organization is, are we? We're complaining about the problems, about what's wrong. And so that has become quite normalized in our world. We might not think criticism is as bad as it actually is, as poisonous as it, is, it actually is. But in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and he says, you brood of vipers, notice again the poisonous snakes theme, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Complaining words arise from a critical spirit. A critical spirit will poison us from the inside out. And complaining words will spread that poison to others. It is contagious and deadly. The remedy of raising a bronze serpent on a pole seems random and impenetrable. It certainly goes against our modern medical science, like where's the anti-venom? Uh, how could that possibly work? That's, that sounds like shamanism or some like really, really weird stuff going on here. Until, in our gospel reading, Jesus unveils the significance of the serpent being lifted up. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You will note that not just, not just once but twice, Jesus refers to eternal life. In this passage, the great catastrophe is not physical death, though it is grievous, though it is heartbreaking. Physical death comes to us all. The, no, the great catastrophe is spiritual death. Because of the remarkable work of redeeming work of Jesus that was done on the cross when he was lifted up. 
And though spiritual death is much more serious than physical death, spiritual death is no longer inevitable. Through Jesus, we can choose the new birth and eternal life that he offered to Nicodemus. However, if you're anything like most of us in our society, and we're always influenced by our society, you are much more attuned to and comfortable with this physical life and the questions of mortality and eternity will very rarely swim to the surface of our consciousness. So, faced with physical death, the Israelites repented of their poisonous ways. They looked up to the bronze serpent and they lived. Likewise, when we're confronted with the severity of our own poisonous ways and words, we repent of them and look up to the cross upon which Jesus was lifted, we too shall live eternally. Our epistle reading from Colossians lays out what life and community on the other side of repentance might look like. And it's still going to be grim for a bit, but hang on, we'll get to the Thanksgiving part of our, of our service yet. Paul begins with an interesting reflection on death, resurrection, and the new life in Christ. He says, since you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God and have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. However, having died and been raised to new life in Christ, we are instructed to continue to put to death what is earthly in you. And he goes on with one of his lists, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Be relentless, he says, put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now, in light of what I said at the beginning, I was tempted not to continue with that last sentence. I didn't want to add that. I wanted to stick with something that was a little less confrontational, a little less dangerous and scary. Yet, the wrath of God is an integral part of the story of his love. Remember our gospel reading. Jesus refers to the judgment of the serpents, the remedy provided, and continues with perhaps the most famous passage in all of the Bible, for God so loved the world. If God did not hate and provide a remedy for that which perverts his image in us, that which alienates us from God, that which alienates us from those that he's placed us in community with, that which alienates us from the people he created and intended us to be, his love would be little more than sentimentalism. Getting back to this curious thing about death, we've already died to these things, but we still have to put them to death. How does that work? Like, what's Paul getting at here? Well, in Christian theology, we talk about positional and progressive sanctification. And by that, we simply mean that having been redeemed by God through Jesus, we are considered sanctified. We're considered holy, dead to the old sinful self and alive to and in Jesus. But every Christian knows that in our day-to-day -day lives, in our relationships, we are not immediately and automatically holy and pure, often far from it, at least I am. We do know that we must embark on the lifelong process of Christian discipleship by which we become increasingly sanctified, increasingly holy. And so day by day, we seek to put to death those things that were part of the old life, 
those things which alienate us from God and others and further corrupt and fracture God's image in us. But that's only the first part of this side of the cross. Because along with putting to death the old sinful self and ways, we are to put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Paul continues on in the next section, which we didn't have time to read this morning, to talk about the necessity of forgiveness and love for real Christian community to occur. Community as it was intended to be. And he then concludes where we want to land on this Thanksgiving Sunday with this inspiring and aspirational description of what life in Christian community could look like. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Doesn't that sound like a wonderful community to be a part of? Doesn't that sound lovely? Well, in many ways and increasingly, that is what our community is becoming, bit by bit. Through the redemptive work of Jesus and the transforming presence of power of the Holy Spirit among us, we are becoming this kind of Christian community. So I exhort us all to be relentless in our pursuit of this. Let us be relentless to, by putting to death the old sinful self with the poison in our mouths and keep putting on the qualities and characteristics of those who have been raised to new life in Christ and to give thanks, always to give thanks. Growing up, all I ever knew of my mother was this relentlessly optimistic, cheerful, grateful, thankful human being. She would burst into a context-appropriate hymn at, the, at a moment's notice. As a matter of fact, she would wake me up each morning by singing, Rise and shine and give God the glory, glory, glory. You can imagine how that landed with a teenager. She was so annoying. At the very best, I thought she might be delusional. At the worst, maybe had some kind of mental illness. Nobody could possibly be that positive, that cheerful, that thankful all of the time. And then when I was an adult, she told me a, a bit of a story about her own spiritual journey in this regard. She grew up uh, right near St. Catharines in sort of the, the, the vineyards and the orchards of, of southern Ontario of the, of the Golden Horseshoe. It was just beautiful, beautiful country and I, and I just... Half of me feels like I go home every time I go down there. It's just beautiful. Before I was born, my parents for a number of years were missionaries to the Cree uh, in Moosonee on the southern tip of the James Bay. And there they lived in a tar paper shack with no running water. All they had was a wood stove and it was cold, cold, cold in the winter. And my two older siblings were born in that environment. It was a hard, a very hard life. My mom would write letters back to her family on a weekly basis, telling her about their adventure, their experience. And she reread one of her letters after she'd written it, and she thought, oh my goodness, there's so much complaining in here. And I thought, well, you know, if anybody had a free pass on complaining, it would be her, right? 
having to, to you know, raise two babies in that kind of uh, very, very difficult environment. But she didn't think that that was appropriate for a disciple of Jesus. And so she resolved there to put away the complaining spirit and the critical words. She resolved to replace that with the discipline and the habit of thanksgiving. And every time she was tempted to be critical and to complain, she instead exercised thanksgiving. I'm sure I was the source of most of her cause for a complaint as I was growing up. I would have done a great deal to help her develop that spiritual discipline. So that by the time I knew her, all that there was was this thankful, grateful, and joyful person in the midst of a difficult life. She had exercised a long obedience in the same direction, as Eugene Peterson puts it. And at the end, that's who she was. Joyful, grateful, thankful, and full of song. And that's had no small influence on me. I'm a long ways from that still. But, but I aspire to that. And it, and it inspires me that she wasn't just born that way, but that she exercised that discipline over and over and over until it became who she was. So on this Thanksgiving Sunday, very much aware of what we have been and are being redeemed from, having resolved to put away poisonous talk from our mouths, both for our sake and for the sake of the community, let us put on instead thanksgiving. And for what shall we be thankful today? Certainly the things that we usually take for granted, but which, like the man in the wilderness, are nevertheless expressions of God's loving provision and faithfulness. The food on our tables, those with whom we share it, the tables themselves, and so on. As we look with new spiritual clarity at our lives to see that gift and grace are woven right through the very fabric of our existence. But our readings today point us at two things that perhaps should be at the very top of our Thanksgiving list this weekend. Our redemption and Christian community. Jesus lifted up on the cross as the ultimate and complete act of redemptive love makes possible the kind of community we are becoming and for which we long. Thanks be to God. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.